premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Ruciello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey folks, this is Joe Russiello, and I'd like to welcome you to another season and another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. And it is absolutely great to be back with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God. And I'm going to tell you, uh, not doing this for a week was a killer. It was a killer. I felt like something was really missing from my life. And I know that may sound exaggerated to you, but it's, it's the honest truth. Uh, it just kind of felt weird not uh, not doing the podcast and not having the usual interaction with you guys as I, I normally would. Uh, but uh, my prayer for you is the same as it is every time we meet, is that wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform you're listening to this on, that you find yourself in the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into the Bible study, as usual, I'm going to ask you to visit our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and uh, go over to our contact section and send us a message. Let us know if you have any questions, any comments, anything that's on your heart or mind, and especially your prayer requests. And if you don't like to use those web forms, you know, that's fine. You don't have to do that. You can email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And of course, while you're on the website, uh, you can look for that support this podcast button. And if the Lord leads you to do so, would you please consider supporting the ministry? We've set it up for 99 cents a month, 4.99 a month, and 9.99 a month. And you know, honestly, and you know this, I really don't like asking, but uh, if you want to help support this ministry in getting out the gospel, helping us to expand, keep the lights on, and everything that goes along with producing and putting together a podcast. Uh, would you please consider a monthly contribution? We can't do it without you. So please pray about it. Pray about supporting us. And of course, to uh, to all of our current supporters who support us uh, financially, who support us prayerfully, uh, and to all of our listeners out there, we want to say thank you so much for being part of this and for keeping us going here. And if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, would you please consider a visit at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? Uh, we meet at 664 North Monroe Street in, in Eagle Pass, and our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11. Our Sunday evening service is at 6, and our Wednesday night Bible study meets at 7 p.m. For more information, you can visit the church's Facebook page. Just go over to Facebook, log in, search for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. And uh, when you get to that, uh, that, that page, you're going to find a lot of helpful information on there, including archived episodes of this podcast. And I'd also like to say thank you to our pastor for allowing us to, uh, to uh, upload these podcasts to our church's Facebook page. So, Pastor Monk, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, you know, you could also find this podcast on Spotify, on Anchor, on, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and we're looking at other platforms, too, to get onto. And once we're onto those, I'll let you know about those as well. So uh, wherever it is that you're listening to us, you know, you, uh, be sure to, to share it with your friends, share it with your family, your followers, and help us to get the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ out there. It's so important, especially in these, in these, in these last days. Um, we don't have any special announcements or anything, uh, for this week. Uh, but, um, well, I guess we could just say, you know, just, uh, not to forget to, uh, send us any questions that you might have, uh, for this new segment that we'd like to have gotten started. 
Uh, didn't get any from you guys. I'm a little disappointed in that, but that's okay. That's okay. We're going to give you another chance. Uh, send something out to us. Let us uh, see if you could stump the preacher here. All right. Um, not trying to do that, but, you know, you get it. All right. So prayer requests. Uh, we have the usual prayer request. Uh, we're going to continue to pray for Bernice and for Adam, uh, members of our church. Bernice has cancer, and she's been going through treatments for that. Adam is her husband. Uh, we also want to continue to pray for Pastor Martin in Ohio for his health. I want to pray for my mom for her health and her salvation, my sister for her salvation, my granddaughter for her salvation. Uh, we have David in New York for his salvation. Uh, of course, my in-laws for their their salvation. And uh, we want to pray for my son-in-law who's going over to the Border Patrol, and uh, he'll be starting with them shortly. Uh, we want to pray for my daughter as well who's pregnant. And I uh, found out uh, just this morning, right, right before we uh, started recording the podcast, that my uh, my niece is pregnant as well, and she's going to be having a baby boy. And so we're very thankful for that. And so, for Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for uh, for all these prayer requests that have come through. And, Father, we just would like to pray for each one of them on the prayer list. Lord, you know their needs. You know what, they, what, what the troubles of their hearts are. And, Lord, we just commit all that to you and to your perfect will, and we pray that you would just meet those needs according to that will. Father, we also want to thank you for uh, for this opportunity that we have with this podcast. And Lord, uh, we also want to just lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today in our study on Joseph as a type of Jesus Christ. And Father, we'll thank you for all of this and all the time and all those that are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, folks. So what we're going to do is here, we're going to take our usual short break. And on that short break, why don't you go get your King James Bible, a cup of coffee, bottle of water, whatever it is that you need. And when we come back, we're going to get started into today's Bible study on Joseph as the type of Christ. And uh, we'll be right back. So don't go away. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. All right, and welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello. And, uh, you know, earlier I said that, um, you know, uh, I, I felt like something was really missing from my life. And, you know, maybe to you that seemed exaggerated, but the truth of the matter is, yeah, I, I really felt uh, like something wasn't quite right last week as uh, we was going through the week. And, you know, not having a Bible study for you guys and, 
you know, it was just just didn't feel right to me. It just really didn't feel right. But I am really happy to be back with you guys today, and uh, I'm excited to get into this study and uh, in studying Bible types. You know, uh, when you study the Old Testament and you study the New Testament, you start to realize that that Bible types um, are all over the place, and that the Bible types all kinds of things, all kinds of scenarios, and all kinds of individuals. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what's a type? Well, there was a Baptist preacher back in the 1600s that, that wrote probably one of the best books that I have in my library. It's a big, thick, hardback book, and his name was Benjamin Keach. And the title of the book is Types and Metaphors of the Bible. And if you want a book that will really help you understand this subject, that's the book. As far as I'm concerned, that's the standard bearer for books on Bible types. And, you know, I, I find it fascinating that that uh, most of the books that I find that are really valuable were written a long time ago. I mean, that's back when people really studied their Bible. You know, it wasn't just that uh, cursory, superficial kind of approach. They really studied the Bible. So now what's a type? A type is something that is picturing something else. And what I want to do this morning is I want to go through a type with you of what I consider to be the greatest, one of the greatest types in all of the Bible. And by studying this particular type, I hope it'll help all of us see how the Lord does this and how he takes an individual, and in this case it's an individual, and mirrors another individual yet to come. Now sometimes a type has to do with people. Sometimes they have to do with uh, uh, a particular prophecy. Sometimes they have to do with a particular doctrine or thing, right? But, you know, the Lord will do this. And, and the more you understand how he does it, the more enlightening and interesting the Bible becomes. And that's because you're studying the thing, you're looking at it, and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm seeing the historical narrative, but what else am I seeing here? There's something beyond that. There's something deeper than that. And so, and so it is in the case uh, of the types. So the type I'd like to show you today is Joseph as he types the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Joseph, it's been said, and I believe it's been accurately said, is probably the greatest type of Jesus Christ found in the Bible. All right, and like I said, there are probably 150 different ways that Joseph types the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, there, are, there are many individuals in the Old Testament that type the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ in one way, fashion, form, or another. Um, there are individuals that type other people, for example, uh, like Elijah. Elijah is a type of John the Baptist, right? David is a type of Christ, you see? So you, have se you also have several types of the Antichrist in the Bible, don't you? Interestingly, you have 18 types of the Antichrist in the Bible, starting with Cain and going to Nimrod and right on through. And that number, 18, is not an accident if you, if you know anything about your numbers, Right? That's six plus six plus six, is it not? Actually, the Antichrist is the second person most typed in the Bible next to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So if you would, turn your Bible, turn in your Bible uh, to Genesis chapter 37, and let's see some portions of this type. Genesis chapter 37. Uh, and, and in this, you'll not only be learning the type itself, but you'll also be learning how to type a thing. Hopefully it'll make you more alert and hopefully it'll, it'll make you more vigilant as you read your Bible just to search and look these things, look at these things and, and see how interesting and prophetic they may be. Now, as I suggested with you, uh, these aren't all original with me, okay? 
Uh, I gleaned most of them from two different sources. I mean, I'm not that much of an original thinker, all right? Uh, occasionally, I'll get something that's brand new and revolutionary to me on my own. Well, you know, me and the Holy Spirit, of course. But uh, a lot of what I get is from reading and studying from other people. You know, uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. So if you thought of it first, if you thought of it, somebody else probably thought of it before you. All right. It's really just a matter of finding it. That's really all it is. Uh, let's see. Uh, Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We, of course, read the story of Jacob and his sons. And let's pick it up in verse 2. Genesis 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his brethren, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that, the father, that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. All right, so one of the first things that we observe here is that Joseph is a beloved son of a father. He's a beloved son of his father. Now, that's not to say that, that the father didn't love all of his sons, but there seemed to be something special and unique about Joseph. Now, you need to put a bookmark or something in Genesis 37 because we're going to flip back and forth. But right now, let's go over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Now, what's so interesting about these types is that uh, not only are they assumed, but in so many cases, God goes through the trouble of stating them, all right, just so the type can be fulfilled in black and white so you can see it for yourself. Now, in Matthew chapter 17, let's look at verse 5. Matthew 17, verse 5, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So Joseph is a beloved son of a father. Jesus Christ is declared the beloved son of God our Father. But that's not all. Look in verse 3 of Genesis 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. So he's the son of old age. God the Father is the Father of eternity. Now I don't know how you can get much older than that, right? I mean, in reality, he's the son of old age because God has always been and always will be. So again, there's a parallel there, and it's interesting, not coincidental, that Joseph shows up in Jacob's old age. But that's not all. That's not all. He's a favorite son. Now, of course, you and I have become sons of God. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. But Jesus Christ precedes us all as the favorite son, the only begotten son. Uh, let's go back to verse 2 of 37, because there's one we missed, okay? Uh, we've also learned in verse 2 that he's the son who brought evil report of others, right? And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. All right, for that, let's look to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, and let's look in verse number 7. John chapter 7, verse 7. All right, the Bible says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. So the testimony of Jesus Christ concerning the world was that their works are evil. All right, and that's not all. Uh, Joseph is a son who had Israelites for brothers. Now, 
It's declared openly that Jesus Christ had Israelites for half-brethren. Behold, your brethren are without, waiting to speak with thee. And what was that conversation all about? Well, it was about tone it down. Tone it down. Well, tone down what? The message God had given him. But that's not all. This was a beloved son that lived in Palestine. Jesus Christ is a beloved son that lived in Palestine. And we observe that Joseph is also a son that was envied. He's a beloved son that was envied. Look with me over in Genesis 37. Genesis 37, and let's look at verse 11. Genesis 37, verse 11. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. So he was envied. He was envied. Let's look at Mark chapter 15. This is a Bible study, so we're going to be flipping. Mark chapter 15, okay, Mark chapter 15 and verse 10. For he knew that the chief, chief priest had delivered him for envy. Now, I've observed over the years that, you know, even in Christian circles, that one of the greatest motivating factors for criticism is envy, all right? That's one of the primary factors involved when folks get on the criticism wagon and start criticizing the saints and other folks and so on. It's an envy thing. Not always, but, but that often seems to be the problem. Joseph was envied by his brethren. Jesus Christ was envied, which ultimately, of course, led to the animosity and the hatred that took him to Calvary. All right. Uh, he, was, he, was a, he was beloved son that was hated. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 4. We read, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Well, he was hated because of the love he enjoyed of the father. Keep your finger there and go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And again, what's fascinating about this is that the Lord takes the time and the trouble to enumerate this in considerable detail so you just don't presume the types. Right? He lays them out for you. Right, right in front of you. They're clear. John chapter 15, verse 24. John 15, verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, pass that, the world, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in, the, in their law, they hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Now, Joseph is a perfect type of that. He's a perfect type of that. They hated him without a cause. Now, look at this one. Uh, he's a son who someday will have people bow down to him. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. All right. Let's get a little more of the picture now. Genesis 37, verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. So be careful about your dreams. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round, round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Now, now this is the younger brother <laughs> telling all the older brothers, By the way, fellas, you know, I had this dream, and here's the deal. We were all out binding these sheaves of grain in the field and mine stood upright and all of yours bowed down before me. 
Now, you can just appreciate the envy and the animosity that that generated. I'm sure they didn't all jump up and say, oh, man, that's great. What a wonderful dream to have. What a great idea. Let's put Joseph on the throne. No, 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 no. It's not going to work that way. Not then, not now. See, you know, you, you, you could figure it all out. Who do you think you are? You know, you could, couldn't you just hear them say that? You know, who do you think you are, you little snot-nosed, youngest, spoiled brat? You know, and on and on it goes, right? You could just hear it. Well, how about verse 6? And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So in about five verses, we're told that they hated him. They hated him more. And then they hated him even more. You see, the hate is drawing like compound interest at this point, right? It's getting worse and worse and worse. Verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream and, it to and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to the earth, to thee? You see, they, they had no trouble interpreting the dream. They knew exactly what the dream meant. They had trouble believing the dream. Now, someone said long ago, and this isn't original with me, but it's true. The Bible's not hard to read. The Bible's not hard to understand, not for the most part. You know, the, diff the difficult thing about the Bible is that it's hard to believe. You see, they had no trouble understanding what he was saying, but they had trouble believing it. You know, all these, all these, pe you know, all these people that say, well, I can't understand the Bible. You know what the real hang up is? That I can't understand the Bible is really just a smokescreen. It's just a facade. It's a veneer that they throw up as self-defense. The real problem is believing it. Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me. And there you go. All right, he's a son that would someday have people bow down to him. And of course, if you follow the narrative concerning Joseph through the next several chapters of the book of Genesis, you're going to find out that that's exactly what took place. Now, let's go over to Philippians chapter 2. Let's flip to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. By the way, Joseph went to Egypt to become what? A servant, a servant, you see? And he was put into a very humbling position and condition. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the sun. So, so, and under the earth, I should say. Uh, so everyone here is bowing ultimately to Jesus Christ. Everyone is bowing. Now that hasn't happened yet, 
but one day it will. One day it will. One day Margaret Sanger will bow and say, Jesus Christ, he is Lord. One day Hitler will bow and say, Jesus Christ, he is Lord. Every United States president will bow and say, Jesus Christ, he is Lord. Now that doesn't mean that they'll be saved, but it does mean that they'll acknowledge who he is. That's what that means. Now, he's a son who'll someday have Jews that will bow down to him. Not just anybody and everybody, but Jews in particular. And of course, that's who's bowing down to Joseph, right? Let's flip to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And it's amazing how many of them there are. It's amazing. It really is. Like I said, there are, there are easily over, there, there's easily over 150 of them. Uh, we probably won't get through them all, though. Let's see. Luke chapter 19. We're not going to get through them all. You know, we're just really on number 10 at this point, but there's a bunch of them. Um, let's see. Luke chapter 19 and verse 14. You know, I don't think it's really essential that we get through them all, but I just want you to see how the Lord does this. All right. Luke 19 verse 14. Uh, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. All right. So this is the attitude of what? Well, this is the attitude of the citizens. We will not have this man reign over us. Now, of course, this is exactly the attitude of Joseph's brothers. You think you're going to reign over us? I should say not. <laughs> so in the parable that Jesus is using as illustration here in Luke 19, uh, they say, we'll not have this man to reign over us, but ultimately he does, and ultimately they bow down. And the same attitude is being expressed. Now Joseph is seeking his brethren. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That which was lost. Interestingly, however, let's go to Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15. The primary concern of Joseph was first and foremost his brethren. When his, when his brothers were revealed to him, and he was revealed to his brothers, what did he do? Well, he took measures to make sure that his brothers were provided for, didn't he? Matthew chapter 15 and verse 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus, first and foremost commission, his first and foremost commission was to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel. Only when it became very evident that Israel was going to reject him did he did, did that message expand to the Gentiles. Uh, that does not mean that, the, that God didn't always have an overriding concern for the Gentile, but the first commission of Jesus Christ was to get the message to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel. Well, why? Well, what was he preaching? He was preaching a kingdom message, a kingdom message, and it had to do with Israel. Now, salvation comes to the house of the Gentiles. Isaiah declared that, uh, you know, and, and we're thankful that it did. But do you see the type? The type is, first of all, let's get Israel where they need to be. So Jesus Christ comes conforming to the type. That's not all. He was a son, Joseph, who was hated for his words. He was hated for his words. Well, what did Joseph do to them? He didn't do anything to them physically. He didn't abuse them in any way. Well, what was he hated for? For his words. For his words, what he said. That's all, what he said. Well, why did they hate Jesus Christ? Did they hate him because of his miracles? No. 
Did they hate him because he raised folks from the dead and fed multitudes and healed the sick? No. No. That's not why they hated him. They hated him for what he said. When he said, I am, they just had a fit. He said several, I am, did he not? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the light of the world. He said, I am the bread of life. You see, he said, I am that water. Several declarations of the great I am were made, and they hated him for his words. He said, I am. I and my Father are one. So they crucified him for his words. They sold Joseph into slavery and wanted to kill him, except for the intervention of his older brother, for his words, for what he said. You know, someone said once, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. That's a fairy tale lie. People get madder over words more than anything else. Isn't that right? They get more upset about what you say or what someone said. And that's the thing that drives them nuts. It's the words. It's the words. So when God calls upon you to be a testimony of his words, that's what will engender the most animosity toward a believer. Not for what you do, but for what you say. That's why what you say is always twisted, right? What we say is constantly twisted by the unbelieving world. For example, okay, it's been said a million times over that we Baptists, and I'm a Baptist, that we Baptists believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven. Do you know that in reality, we are one of the few people that don't believe that? We don't believe that. But you see how that gets twisted? And you know that there are people in this, in this community, in every, in every community around America, that, that say this about Baptists? That's the crowd that believes that if you go to movies and play cards and dance and smoke, you can't go to heaven? We don't believe that. We've never believed that. I mean, maybe there's some hybrid weird Baptist somewhere that believes that stuff, but, but we don't. Amen? We believe that heaven is conditioned solely, solely on the appropriated shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not on your personal behavior, because if it depended on your behavior, you would be in big trouble. And honestly, so would I. So would I. So it's the words. It's the words. It's the words that have always been a big problem for people. It's always been that way, and it's never going to change. But there's more. There's more. What we have here is a future king in Palestine who is stripped of his clothes. Look with me over in verse 23 of Genesis 37. Genesis 37 and verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. Now, do you remember how the Roman soldiers gambled for the vesture of the Lord Jesus Christ? The coat was in question. It was an issue. Isn't that right? Verse 24. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. All right, a future king. Joseph is elevated to the position of a king, second in command to Pharaoh. But he has all the power and authority of a king, ultimately. Of course, Jesus Christ one day will be recognized by all as a king geographically positioned in Palestine, in the, middle, in the millennial kingdom. Now, there are some more interesting things here. Well, what do they do here? They cast him into a pit, right? 
Do you know what Revelation chapter 9 calls hell? It calls it a pit, doesn't it? And you know where Jesus Christ went for you? He went into the pit. And his soul became an offering for our sin. Amazing the types that keep popping up when you look at that thing, right? It's amazing. But there's more. Look at verse 28. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit. Do you know what that symbolizes or pictures? A resurrection, right? It pictures a resurrection. They drew him out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. So we have a future king of Palestine who was betrayed for silver. Well, we don't have to look up the scripture. That's well known. Um, you know what Jesus Christ was betrayed for? He was betrayed for silver, was he not? Do you suppose that it's a coincidence that all the parallels that are here? Don't you see what the Lord is doing? He's showing you things hundreds and hundreds of years before they come to pass. And what's particularly fascinating about this is that the more you study types, the more you realize that the author of the Old Testament couldn't have possibly known all the things they were typing yet in the future. Therefore, it's just further verification that what you have in your hands is a book of divine origin. How could you have assembled a group of men to write a book to type a whole bunch of things to come to pass that they had no idea were going to come to pass in the detail that they did? What you have is a divine book. There's no group of men or, or people who could have put this thing together like this. Forty different authors stretched out over as many years as they were. My, 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 that thing's got God's handprint all over it from beginning to end. But that's not all. You have a future king who was lied about in his death. Let's look down in verse 31 of Genesis 37. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. So the brothers sold Joseph into slavery and set him down and sent him on down with the Ishmaelites into Egypt. Then they took his coat, they killed an animal, dipped it in the blood, and sent it back to Dad and asked if it was Joseph's coat. Yeah, this is Joseph's coat. Well, this is how we found it. Well, they lied about his death. They lied about his blood. And that type goes through on, goes on through perpetuity, in, in perpetuity. That goes on to this day, people lying about his death and lying about his blood. Do you know what goes on and on and on? you know why that goes on and on and on? It's probably because that's the most significant of all the types concerning Joseph and Jesus Christ, lying about the blood. And do you know why that's the most critical of them all? It's because it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us, that cleanses us from all sin. You know, modern theologians say that Christ died to manifest the love of God or to show us or to show how he felt about sin, or to sanctify the race, or to reconcile institutions and communities, or, or to demonstrate perfect repentance, or, or they say that he died as a martyr, or, he, or he, he paid the price of his own salvation, or that he, he swooned, or he was taking drugs and later revived. Man, men will believe anything in the world but the text. 
Notice how Jacob himself so readily believed that lie. Jacob didn't send anybody to investigate it. He didn't say, now, wait a minute, I have to check this thing out further. He just believed the lie. Jacob himself, in this occasion, is a picture of the readiness and of the willingness of the depraved human heart to believe a lie about the beloved son. People are willing to believe any lie in the world. Do you know what Jesus Christ's death was? It was a propitiatory, substitutionary blood atonement for the sin of sinners. That's what it was. He didn't die to give us an example of how to die. You know, a lot of people say that. Well, you know, he died to give us an example. Folks, I don't want to die on a cross, thank you. I'd just as soon not have to follow that example. Amen? That's not why he died. He died for our sins, totally and completely. But isn't it fascinating how so many people will buy into any lie concerning that? They'll buy into any lie. You're saved by water. You're saved by works. You're saved by church membership. You're saved by a sacrament. You're saved by a communion. Anything in the world but the truth. Anything. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Well, how about another one? He's a future king that was rescued by one of his brothers. Look in verse 22. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Okay, now Reuben tries to come to the rescue here. Okay, now Reuben really is no spiritual giant. You know what Jacob says later about Reuben? He says he's as unstable as water, right? Wow, would you, how, would you, how would you feel if your dad said that about you? But be that as it may, there's a type that has to be fulfilled here. Look in John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 50. John chapter 7 verse 50. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them. Now you remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3. All right. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? So in other words, Nicodemus here is sticking up for Jesus. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Well, you know, Nicodemus, you know, he made an effort on the behalf of Jesus Christ. And of course, it was ultimately futile because uh, it was absolutely destined that Jesus Christ go to the cross. But the type is there. The type is there. Reuben intercedes. Nicodemus intercedes. You see, after you get to about 50 of these, you begin to say, wow, man. You know, this is beyond the realm of coincidence. Statistical probability absolutely defies this unless the hand of God is involved. Well, here's another one. He was a son who was put into a pit without water. Well, we've already read that in verse 24, so let's go to Matthew 27. Now, I know I don't have these in perfect chronological order, but I think you get the picture here, right? Uh, Matthew 27, verse 48. Jesus is on the cross here. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it and gave him to drink. Now, you have all kinds of speculation as to what they gave Jesus as to, or as to why they gave Jesus vinegar. You know, some say that it was a type of medicine that it, it numbed the pain and that and all that kind of baloney, but you know what this is? Really what this is? It's just another mockery. It's just another mockery because they refused to give him water. And do you know why they wouldn't give him water? Well, to fulfill the type. He's in a pit without water. You see that? That's not all. He was a Passover lamb. 
a Passover lamb. Let's look at another type. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb and in Exodus chapter 12 and in verse 9. Here, of course, is the record of the first Passover and the instructions concerning it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 9. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden, sodden at all with water, but roast it with fire, his head with his legs, and with putrescence thereof. So the Passover lamb was to be, I guess, in a sense, barbecued. Okay, It was to be roasted. Not roasted in a pan with water, not boiled, no water involved. It was to be cooked thoroughly to the point of being burnt. So in other words, the Passover lamb type had to be fulfilled. So it was in Joseph. And um, you know what I found interesting? That Joseph was fulfilling a type of the Passover lamb before the Passover lamb took place, right? I mean, Genesis is before Exodus, isn't it? Right? And then, of course, there's Jesus Christ being the Passover lamb. But that's not all. He was watched by his brothers after he was stripped of his clothes. So they strip him of his clothes, they throw him in a pit, and they sit there and watch. Look over in Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Now, the reason it's the old timers that came up with all these types is, is that they were the ones that actually sat there with their Bibles studying. You know, they weren't looking for one of those fuzzy, feel-good 15-minute devotions to give. They were looking for Bible. These are the guys that read, and they read, and they read, and they searched the Scriptures and studied to show themselves approved unto God. And they came up with these types, and they are fascinating. They are absolutely fascinating. Matthew 27 and verse 28. And they stripped him and put him and put on him a scarlet robe. And so what are they doing? Uh, and as, as you read further down, it says, And sitting down, when Jesus is on the cross, they watched him there. And sitting down, they watched him there. So what did they do? So what did they do? They stripped him of his clothes, and then they sat there and watched. All right, here's another one. He, Joseph, was sold to the Gentiles. Now, he wasn't sold to the Jews. He was sold to the Gentiles, was he not? Let's go back to verse 26 in Genesis 37. Genesis 37, verse 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. So it was Judah who said, Let's sell him to the Gentiles. Now, let me see. Jesus was on trial in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the geographical location of which tribe? Judah. Judah, that's right, Judah. And it was Judas who said, let's sell him to the Gentiles. So it was the progeny all those hundreds of years later of Judah that said when Pilate asked, what do you want or who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? In effect, what did they do? In effect, what did they do? They sold him to the Gentiles. They sold him to the Romans. And they said, crucify him. We'll sell him to you and take Barabbas in exchange. So Jesus Christ, as Joseph, was sold out. Jesus Christ, as Joseph, had God with him. Go over to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. And in 30, Genesis 39 and verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph, 
and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. You know, sometimes it's not so bad to be hated by the brethren, okay? Because sometimes God will prosper you for it. There could be an upside to it, you know. Let's look over into Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Acts ten thirty-eight. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Well, that's evident that God was with him. But the Holy Spirit somehow deems it necessary to say so. Do you know why it's necessary for him to say so? Because God was with Joseph, and he said so. And Joseph is a type, and that the type might be fulfilled. People saw that God was with Jesus Christ as people saw that God was with Joseph. Genesis 39. Genesis 39, verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So this was all observed. It was all seen. Now look over with me in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And I think this will probably be the last one that we're going to have time for. And trust me, there are a lot more of them. And you know what? We actually covered about 22 of them. Believe it or not. We covered about 22 of them. John chapter 10 and verse 41. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. They saw him and they saw what he did was prospered and that God blessed it. And they go on and on and on. Let me just run through uh, a few more for you. All right. Uh, what Jesus Christ did, God prospered. Christ was all over the house in, in, in Hebrews chapter 3 as Joseph was. Christ had Joseph. Christ as Joseph found grace in God's sight. God blessed the Christian in Israel for Christ's sake, even as he blessed the house of Potiphar for Joseph's sake. Um, all God has, he delivers to Jesus, even as Potiphar's house was delivered to Joseph. Jesus Christ was tempted just as Joseph was. Jesus Christ did not sin against God, even as Joseph did not sin against God. And you know what? It just goes on and on and on and on. And there's just too many of them to just be a coincidence. I mean, it really is. It's, 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 it's a wonderful and glorious book that God has given us. It truly is. Father, as we anticipate this coming week, we ask your blessings on it. We ask your guidance and your protection for us, your leadership and direction. We each have many decisions that we must make, and we must make them humbly and surrender to your lordship and all, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, that's about all the time that we have for on this episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. And I'll tell you, it was great to be back with you guys, and I'm looking forward to next week's study. Uh, next week's study, we're going to be getting into, I think, the will of God, or we might jump into just a few more uh, types that are found in the Bible, but we might look at some New Testament things. Haven't really fully decided yet, I'm waiting for the Lord just kind of point me in the right direction of it. But both are ready to go. So uh, until next time, folks, again, thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you, and good day. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you, and good day. Well, that's about it, really. The film ends mainly visually.